you will this morning, turn with me to our text, which will be found in Acts 15, verse 11. It's Acts 15, 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Let us pray. O Lord, how great Thou art, how merciful Thou art, and how faithful Thou art, O Lord, to bring us here this morning. I pray, O Lord, in Thy faithfulness, according to that faithfulness, that You would be pleased to take our minds and our hearts and join them to Thee, Lord, as You would be pleased to reveal Thy truth. And Lord, as Thy servant once stood in the face of opposition, in the face of compromise, and said these words, I pray this morning, Lord, they would be our words that you would impress them upon our souls, that you would be pleased to reveal to us the way of salvation in thy Son, that you would give us an assurance, Lord, that you have called us, that you have saved us, that you have washed us, that you have sanctified us, that you have justified us. All that thy Son is to us, Lord, may you reveal that this day for the praise and glory of thee. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Peter said these words, at what we would deem to be the very first ever conference of Sovereign Grace, or if you want to say Sovereign Grace, or the very first time that the apostles got together to make a statement. And this is that statement that Peter said, but we believe. He's speaking of the disciples. And this is a very important and vital declaration that Peter made this morning. We today, if we fast forward many years later, as we are, we're, as you'll see this morning, the same way leaven creeps in then, leaven creeps in today. It creeps into the church. It creeps into the believers. It creeps into our own minds and our own hearts. I pray today that the Lord would reveal that to us, where we have compromised, if we have compromised, I should say that. Um, compromise is, is never something, I think that you all, if, if you know anything about church history, you know that through times, all the years, there's been councils, there's been uh, conferences, and, and these councils that they have usually go the same way. They, they gather a bunch of people together, um, religious people, and they argue about a, a certain topic. I know that in the Southern Baptist a few years back, it was on where w women should be preaching or not. And they all got together and they argued whether they should be. And, and then after they argued, they debated a little bit more. And at the end, there was a compromise. And then the next declaration that, or the next truth, so to speak, that they took up was on homosexuality and where it belongs in the church. You say, well, that's blasphemous. It doesn't belong in the church. You're right. But they came together. They had a council. They had to talk about it. They argued about it. They debated about it. And then there was compromise. So throughout the ages, you've seen councils rise up. Men would get together, they'd sit around a table, they would debate something, they would come to a consensus, there'd be give and take on both sides, and then there would be compromise. What you have before you in the Word of God today is no compromise. None. 
Peter stood up and he spoke for the we. There'd be three speakers at this conference. It would be Paul, it'd be Peter, and it'd be James. And all three of them stood in one united truth. And that united truth was this. We believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Shall meaning we're preserved until the end. Shall meaning that what the Lord says he will do, he verily does it. And he says, even as they, meaning as you'll see, there's no difference between the way that the Lord saves a Jew or he saves a Gentile. And that is so important today. Period. That's it. There's nothing else to add to this statement. There's nothing else to debate about this statement. When, Paul, when Peter said these words, that it's through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, he emphatically put a period at the end of it. And that's what today is about. That's what we're going to discuss today. And we're going to backtrack a little bit to see what happened here and uh, how all these events unfolded. So if you just turn with me back to Acts 13 real quick, and we'll see how all this started. And it started at Antioch because the shift has went for the church now is, is, is at Antioch. It's not at Jerusalem. And at the beginning of 13, you see now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. Now pay attention to these words because this is the first time that the Lord would send someone on a missionary journey. Oh, we hear that word bandied out a lot today. Oh, we have mission. We support these missionaries. They're building houses over in Haiti. Missionaries don't build houses in Haiti. The missionaries, as the Lord called them here, they had a mission, and the Lord would send them out. Watch. They ministered to the Lord, and they fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, that wasn't a council. That wasn't them getting together. It was the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. What is that work? We'll get to it here in a minute. And when they had fasted and prayed and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, that's the only way a true one called of the Lord can go and speak the gospel somewhere. He must be sent by the Holy Spirit. Not a group of men, not a church, not anything else, but by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, they were let, sent forth by the Holy Spirit. They departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. That's what I said at the beginning. A true one that's sent out of the Holy Ghost has one mission, and that is to preach the Word of God, which is in Christ Jesus, who is the Word of God. It is Christ. Paul had said on many occasions, in fact, I'll quote a couple, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, Paul said, but we preach Christ crucified. Paul has been emphatic throughout the Gospels to tell us what his subject matter is, when he goes and preaches the gospel, when the Holy Spirit sends him forth to preach before men, he has one subject, and that's Christ crucified. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews. He's a stumbling block. You'll see that today. 
And unto the Greeks, it's foolishness to them because they compare it with the wisdom of the world. And the only way that there's going to be success, as we would measure success, is the Holy Spirit must prepare and work in the same heart that's sitting in the seat or sitting on the ground or wherever it is that Paul's preaching. So the same one who brings forth the message is the same one who applies the message, plows the heart, brings the one to repent, opens the ears, opens the heart. It's the Lord himself. And unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what he said. We preach Christ crucified, which is Christ who is the power of God. Christ is a, the scepter has been placed in the king's hand by the king God the Father. So, and that's where all wisdom is, Paul says. That's the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you, nothing else. You say, well, Paul wrote about different things in the church. Yes, he did. He set order in the churches. He said, and, and remember, I, I chuckle sometimes at, at some of my brothers that preach and, and, and say that the Lord required head coverings and things like that. They focus so much on, on a, a ritual or whatever it is you want to call it because it's in the Word. And, and Paul always said at the end, he said, but I don't have no such custom. I'm not preaching head coverings. I'm not preaching baptism. I'm not preaching any of those things. I'm preaching Christ crucified. That was the message of the gospel to Paul. So as he says that, he says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's what, I, that's what I'm preaching to you. And then he said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed to preach that. I'm not ashamed because the Lord who knocked him off a horse said, this is what you're going to go out and preach. You're going to preach the totality of salvation in me. Not of man, but of me. And that's so important. Because as we, we fast forward here, we're not going to read all this, but as we fast forward in what Paul and Barnabas were set out to do, you're going to see that the, the goal and what they set out to do was preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so, we, we, like I said, we fast forward a little bit. If you, if you just turn your page, well, it is for me, and you look at 38, as Paul is going from city to city, he says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He's preaching Christ. And the only way of forgiveness is through Christ Jesus. And by him, Christ, all that believe are justified from all things. Do you feel justified? Do you feel in your soul? Like I said, this is, this is soul-searching stuff. Peter, at the, when he made that declaration, I bet when I read that declaration to you that we believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. When I read that, you probably thought, well, that's a nice, that's a nice statement. I agree with that statement. But it's not a statement. It's a declaration. That's my question. Is that your declaration out in the world today? Or is there something you want to add to Christ? That's the problem. And the problem's always been there, as you'll see this morning. You'll see at this conference, that problem is what came up. But we go on. 
And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That's very important, of course, because there's still those who join themselves to the church who say that they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that he came. They believe that he died. They believe that he rose again. But they believe something else too. We're going to see that in just a few minutes. So if you fast forward a little bit more, and we go right down to 2014, 27, and 28, I'm just trying to paraphrase what happened before we get to 15. And when they were come together, this is after Paul was beaten and left for dead, and for doing what? Preaching the gospel. And as, the, as he preached the totality of Christ, there was great opposition. There was great men who hated it because they cannot deal with the sufficiency of Christ. Man must have some part in salvation or some part in religion. Paul said it's ridiculous. You have no part. You are receiving vessel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, if you're saved at all. And, when, and then in 20, what did I say we'd go to? 26, 27. And when they, come to, when they were come, and they gathered the church together, Paul now has been back from where he'd been sent out, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door unto the Gentiles. And they abode a long time with the disciples. Okay? And now we come to the meat of the sermon this morning. Chapter 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised, after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, verse 5 tells us that these same men, which were of the sect of the Pharisees, they believed. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Savior. They believed in grace. They believed that Jesus died and rose again. But it wasn't enough. And, then, and, and just to sit there and to take that in a minute and to sit in our seats and to stand me standing up here, just think of that, that statement right there. Christ died and rose again, but that's not enough. Christ said on the cross, it is finished. Christ said, I've done everything. I've performed everything for my people. And to sit and say, that's not enough. Here's what we should do. This is what we command. Except you be circumcised, and that's, that's the religious duty of the day then. That's the religious ordinance. You know, we, we've heard the same things throughout our head. You've got to be a Baptist. You've got to be a Catholic. You've got to be, I've even heard some people say you've got to be a Republican. Well, I've heard people say you must be baptized. I've heard people say just recently that once you're baptized, you're saved. Whole sect of religion has come up out of duty, out of things that man, they take the salvation from Christ and what he's done and what he's accomplished and what he's finished, and they look Jesus in the face and they say, it's not enough. There's something we have to do. There's some kind of part that we can mix with grace and it will be accepted before God. Now, at your leisure, later, 
I invite you to go to Galatians 2 and read. Paul wrote about this very thing in Galatians 2, and he called these men that came in, he called them false brethren. Paul's words. So, but today, this morning, we're going to focus on this passage. And this, and he said, except you, they said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, Paul, what do you think about that? Look at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, Paul was angry. Righteous anger. Paul was Paul and Barnabas could not take what they were hearing. Do you feel that way about air? Or do you compromise? When you hear hear air or you see you see that the people will say something about Jesus, oh well, he made salvation possible for everyone. He he didn't he didn't save everyone, but he made it possible. Well, you know, you're not hurting anybody by that. I can, I, can, I can walk next to you. I can have fellowship with you. You know, we, let's just focus on the parts that we agree with. But Paul, when he heard this error come in, that when it, it, mixed, it takes away from grace, now the shift of salvation is off of Jesus Christ, and this is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached Christ crucified. He preached that Christ was enough. He preached that Christ was more than enough for all of his children. He preached that Christ was our justification, our sanctification. He was everything to us. He was the end of the law for righteousness sake. He was, he did everything. For, and then religious man stands up and says, yeah, but. As long as you're circumcised after the law of Moses, then salvation's at your door. Now you can be saved. And listen, I told you this morning, I'm not here to, to sit here and talk about circumcision. I want you to understand that in the place of circumcision, you can put any religious act. If you pray more, if you give to the church more, if you help the poor more, if you do these things, when that focus is off of a Savior who has performed all things for us, once that creeps into our mindset, we start to talk that way. We start to hang out with one another and say those things. Oh, if I'd only done this. Oh, if I could do that. Or if, if I could bring this about. It creeps in. That's what the leaven. Paul said that little bit of leaven leavens a whole lump. And when you hear that ought to, and you hear that must to, and you hear that, run from it. For unto the cross, flee to Christ who has done everything for you. You don't need to bear that burden. You don't need to be the one who sits there and says, yes, there is something else I need to do. You'll never ever be able to accomplish the law. Never. You'll never be able to keep it. Only one could. And that's because he was sinless. And he was holy. And he was just. And he was perfect. And that's what you have to be to keep the law. 
to attain a righteousness by the law. By any duty. By any ought to. By any must to. So Paul is very upset. To say the least. Turn with me over just a couple of... We're going to go to Romans a couple times. Turn me over to Romans 3 real quick. And let's start in verse... Well, let's start in 19. Paul says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. See, that's what the law does. When you come before the holy law of God, in all the ceremonies, in all of the commandments, in everything that the Lord said, when you come before that, for the child of God, it stops his mouth. He sits there and he says, I don't have an argument anymore, Lord. But the law can't save you. All the law can do is reveal that you're a sinner. All it does is said, yeah, you don't measure up to this law. It shuts your mouth. Has it ever shut yours? That's the question this morning. Has the law had its place? When Paul said the law was spiritual, did it have its place in your, your life? That place to reveal sin and to reveal how far short you have come to the glory of God. It saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. And listen, you say, well, I'm not under the law. Oh, but we put ourselves there many times. We put ourselves there with what we have to do. We put ourselves there with what we must do. We put ourselves there with what we can do. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law... There shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So he can't, you can't be justified in God's sight by the deeds of the law. By the deeds of the flesh is another way to put that. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what I just said. That's what the law does. It reveals sin. But now, he says, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Is manifested in Christ. Because he did away with the law. He is the righteousness for the child of God. It's not duty. It's not legal obedience. It's not what you have to do. It's not what you need to go out of here and must do. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Believing in Christ. Believing that Christ has done it. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't save. Christ saves. Faith reveals it's Christ saves. Faith is the hand that reaches out to Christ and says, you are salvation. And that faith is a gift of God. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, 
Paul, twice now, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now listen to this. Where is boasting then? Where is boasting for the child of God? It is excluded. Do you know what that means? Man, you can't say to God, I did these things and that merited my salvation. Remember that passage, I love it, where the saints, when the Lord said, when you gave water to this one, you did it to me. When I did, and then at the end they said, Lord, we don't, we don't remember that. When did we do these things? That's the mindset of the child of God. He's not keeping score. It's Christ living in him. And the love and the gentleness and the things and how he treats and loves one another, that's the working of Christ. And Christ is to receive all glory and honor and praise. That he might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. By the law of faith. Faith to believe. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what the, over in our text now. That's, that, that's why Paul's upset. You, you just read what he had to say. Why are you so upset, Paul? Why, why are you... Why do you have so much dissension now? Why, why is there dissension with these brothers that just came down? I'll tell you why. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem now and to the apostles and the elders about this question. Not to debate it. And you'll see there is no debate. But to stand in the truth. To stand against the air that's coming in. And being brought on their way by the church, listen to this, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. So it, they didn't stop their message as they were going to Jerusalem. They, they went through these cities and they declared what the Lord had done. Why? Don't you think that brought joy to the saints? Does that bring joy to you to hear that, only, that Christ is salvation and only Christ? Or is that not enough? And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. I hope there is joy. I, I, I hope there is joy when you hear that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached to others, and they received it and accepted it. They said, yes, this is the truth. Not all this other stuff that we maybe have never heard in our life. We've heard the truth now. Our ears have been open. And look at the joy that they have there because of it. The brethren do. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and the elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. Now they rehashed because... That's what you do. You speak about what Christ has done. You speak about the kingdom. You speak about, look at the joy in what the Lord is doing. we got enough stuff that we hear in this world that is deflating, that is defeating, that is very burdensome to us. But to hear what Christ has done, what Christ is doing in the soul, how Christ has showed you that He is your sufficiency for all things. Oh, that just brings joy to the children of God. 
Oh, but the Lord is my sufficiency. I won't fear what any man does unto me. But then we come to verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. I know we have trouble with that, but it says it. They believed. Saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So that they made their pitch again. Okay, now you, the Gospels went out to all these Gentiles. You know what? We need to make sure they're all Jews. <laughs> we need to make them that way. We need to make sure that all of our ceremonies and all the things that our fathers and forefathers put forth to, to us, we're going to impose them on them. Paul's over there telling them, yo, you're free from those. Christ has, has accomplished everything in himself. Nope. Nope. No, there's got to be something we can add to grace. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful what he said? Let, let, don't you remember, brethren, God made this choice. Remember when I was taken to Cornelius' house and he showed me that vision out of heaven and I said, oh no, Lord, I wouldn't eat any of that stuff. And the Lord told me to eat it. And I said, no, no, I wouldn't do that. That's unclean. And the Lord said, don't you call what I call clean, unclean. Peter preached Jesus Christ to Cornelius' home. And all that the Lord saved in that home were added to the church. And they were Gentiles. And Peter came back, if you remember, he rehearsed what happened and he went before everyone and he said, listen, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They were given the Holy Spirit to receive the truth. How can we say that they're not our brethren? And they rejoiced with Peter. And they said, that's right. That's what he's talking about. God made this choice. You hear me? God made it. Not you and I. There's no... There's no uh, Man and works and, and uh, co-pilotship here. There's no, let's get with God and see what works out for us and what works out for Him. God made the choice. He said that in my Son, and in my Son only, hear you Him. I will speak through Him. There will be salvation in Him and no other name and no other man and no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. God made that choice. He didn't consult man either. This was done in eternity. He didn't need man. Jesus said that I don't need to be ministered to. I don't need you to add anything you have to say or any of your works or any of your religious duties. I don't need them. I am salvation. God made the choice among us. God did it. Paul put it this way, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God made that choice. Not of works, lest any man should boast. God made that choice. That the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He did it. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bore witness 
bore them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And that's the thing, dear ones. There are people of God today sitting probably in a lot of different denominations. Because it's not the Baptists that are saved or the Methodists that are saved or the Calvinists that are saved. It's those who are in Christ that are saved. I think the Bible calls them Christians even. Christians. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. It's not color. It's not creed. You know, I, I, I chuckle when I, when I read this because I grew up in the Methodist church and one of the things we had to um, recite every Sunday was called the Apostles' Creed. Sadly, I probably remember it. I don't want to, but that came about in about 150 A.D. The problem with that creed, and there's a lot of good historical truth in it, but the problem with that creed is it missed the true Apostles' Creed here. James, Paul, and Peter said that we believe through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. That's what they wanted every man to know. Nothing else. That was it. They don't... (laughs) When it comes to salvation, the totality of it is in Christ. And if we be in Christ, that perfect salvation that he wrought out for us... It's all ours. And by his faith, we believe it and accept it and understand it and rest in it. He put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, and this is a great question Peter asks, great question. Now, therefore, why tempt you God? How are they tempting God? By mixing grace and works. By mixing grace and duty. By mixing grace and have to. Why do you tempt God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why are you doing that? Why are you guys that are coming down here putting a yoke on them? They couldn't. They couldn't be support. They couldn't do the law. They couldn't keep it. Our fathers, all the prophets, all of them. And they realized when Jesus revealed himself to them that he was the end of the law. That he did it for them. How can we go and preach? And how can we go and teach? And how can we speak to one another and say to them, there's something else that must be done. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you go to somebody and say, unless you repent you won't be saved. It ain't their repentance. Repentance is a gift of God. And repentance will come because of Christ and what He's done. 
unless you believe this way. That's right. But where does faith come from? comes from the faith of the Son of God. So this, this message that they came up with, well, what Peter said, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they is perfect. And it's full. And there's nothing to be added to it. We know that John wrote in John 1.17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 5, 20 and 21, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Yes, that's what we said. That's what the law does. It reveals sin. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's what, that's what the, the, the apostles are saying this morning. Grace abounded. It's the grace that's in Christ. He is salvation. He's done it all. We as the ministers of, of Christ point men it nothing else nothing you have to do no creed not baptism not lord's supper christ who is the picture of those things who is the sum and substance of those things that a sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Romans 11, 5 and 6 says, Even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. You say, oh, that's a beautiful word. That's right. There's an election. There's a remnant that's been chosen, that everything's been applied, everything's been given to them through the Son, Lord Jesus Christ. And if by grace, It is no more, I'm sorry. And if by grace it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. I know, you read that verse, you get tongue-tied and everything up in it, but what Paul is, is basically saying is, you can't mix them. <laughs> you, can't, you can't sit there and say my works and what I've done and everything I've commended to the Lord is what grace is. It's not. Grace is what He's done, not what you've done. Grace is what He's accomplished, not what you've accomplished. You can't mix the two. Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, that means through Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. And I'm going to tell you something. Paul was upset then, but he was suffering. We suffer every time the grace of God is it, it come, come against in this life. It's, it's, like, it's like someone sticking a knife in you. It is. It, it's like just it just cuts you every time you hear that there's another way of salvation or there's something to be added to Christ's salvation. Yeah, I understand the anger. I understand the dissension. I understand it. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. That's what grace in Christ does. Establishes you in Christ. Strengthens you in Christ. Settles you upon the rock that is Christ. This grace 
is that great redeeming, justifying, sanctifying, life-giving, electing grace is found only in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, and through Christ Jesus. And you'll notice if you read, and I'll leave it to you to read those things, but if you read on, you'll see um, Paul then got up and spoke. James then got up and spoke, and, and he wanted to let them know, the, the Gentiles to know, that there was a few things they should know. And uh, so they wrote letters to them, and and he, he said, we write in verse 20 that they abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. And you say, well, isn't that an ought that he put on? No, they never had the law to know that it was wrong to do those things. So James let them know because they were living in those sins. Understand that God looks at those things as sin. Oh, okay. Right. And by grace, we are saved from those things. We'll finish up in Galatians 5. You turn with me over to Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's what we talked about today. Anytime that mixture of leaven comes in, in our minds, I'm talking about ourselves now. I mean, we certainly know what, what damage it can do in a church. We know what kind of, that's why Paul was so upset and Peter, they had to take a stand. They didn't compromise. They said, this is the truth and let all this other stuff be gone out of here. Because it's vitally important to stand. And that's what Paul's saying here. Stand and it's a liberty. It's, it's not a bondage. It's a liberty. What we just heard in the other side is a bondage. The liberty that you have in Christ is to live as a free one under Christ, under the free grace. That's what what's we're in Isaiah. Ho, oh, everyone that thirsteth, come. It's free. It, the grace is free. We, we don't do anything to earn it or merit it. That was all done by Christ on our behalf. Stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. If you take this, Christ shall profit you nothing. Sometimes we hear those things. We've heard stories like that in churches. Certainly not here, thank the Lord. But we've heard that, well, unless you come down and be a member and confess this in front of everybody and then you write down that, then you can be a member. Then you can do this. Then you can do... That's, that's, that's a yoke of bondage. That, that, ain't what Christ, that ain't what Christ said. Any of those things that you put bondage or a yoke upon will not end good. Now listen, I know what man's all about and I know we like senses of accomplishment and that's why our fallen nature keeps wanting to add something like, well, if we do this, then we can mark off something that we did good for God. We feel good about those things when we do them. We, Oh, I, I did this and I did a good, I gave this to the poor and I needed to do this. and Those things make the flesh feel pretty good. Those ain't the works of Christ because the works of Christ our vocabulary would never begin with I. 
Paul. It'd be yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. If you want to follow part of the law, you're a debtor to do it all. If you want to say, I, I have to do this, I have to do it, you have to do it all. All of it. You're on your own. On that hand, and on the other hand, Christ has done it all. Which one sounds better? The child of God, he's cleaving to Christ. Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful you've done it all. I can't accomplish these things. Christ has become no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from, should say, away from. You have fallen away from grace. You went the farthest way you could possibly go from grace when you've added yourself or what you do to it. You went way away from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by You want to know why grace is so amazing? Because of His love. You want to know why He performed all for us in our place? Because of love. May He impress upon us today the faith to believe it and His love to wrap us in to show us that He is enough and to give us that gift of repentance for all the ways that we've thought that He's not. Dear Heavenly Father, add Thy power, add Thy clarity to this message. May it be honoring unto Thee as You take it, and You apply, and You clean up, and You do that which is pleasing to Thee, Lord, for all glory belongs to Thee. Thou art worthy of our praise, for truly, Lord, You are life, you are everything. May you have all honor and glory and praise. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.